I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of Beauty Bosses. I'm so pleased to have the amazing Aidan Donnelly Rowley. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course, my pleasure. So, many of you guys already know Aidan, but for those of you who are not familiar with her wonderful works, Aiden is a novelist and writer, extremely accomplished. Um, she's the hostess of the Happy Hour Literary Salons, which I've personally been to, and they're really amazing. Thank you. And she's also a mother of three who's raising her daughters in Manhattan with her husband, um, a reformed lawyer, a woman of many skills and backgrounds. Um, and then, most interestingly, your most recent new project is um, as a kind of a community rallier and advocate for the dry life, especially as a parent. Yes, So absolutely. Let's talk about all of that stuff. Okay. Um, So I want to rewind and kind of talk a little bit about the beginning because you started your career as a lawyer and transitioned into being a really successful writer. So can you start by just talking a little bit about how that transition went? Absolutely. So yes, I went straight from college to law school like many people do and loved law school. Really, I'm one of those people, um, perhaps you're in this category, who really loves school and loves yeah. learning. And I could, <laughs> I if, I, if I could just get endless degrees, I would do that. Me that would too. Be my, like, that would be very, so fun, I'm like right? just a happy student. Um, so I actually really loved law school. Um, I gravitated, interestingly, towards classes that involved a lot of writing. Not very surprising in retrospect. And I... Even though I knew probably on day one of law school that I would not become a practicing lawyer, I wanted to have that experience and that exposure, and I felt like it was all very good training, and it would lead somewhere meaningful. So I kind of knew throughout that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the end game. So I liked law school and very much had the kind of typical law firm experience. I was a summer associate and then went on to be an associate at a big law firm here in New York City. And I enjoyed it, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the work enough. I worked in a litigation department and I still, I still knew that it wouldn't be kind of the long game. And it wasn't until I was practicing law and really kind of in the trenches practicing law that I realized that I wanted and needed to do something creative. So I actually credit the kind of detour of law school and law firm life with giving me that hankering to write, interestingly. And so I didn't last very long in the, in the law firm world. I was there about a year and a half, and then I decided um, somewhat hastily to, to leave my job and to write full-time and to try to, to write my first novel, which I did. That's awesome. And I really like that as a story because, you know, all of us go through experiences professionally that may or may not be the best fit for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... An experience that tells you who you're not is just as valuable as an experience that tells you who you are. Because it's sort of, you you can't, there are some doors you can't open unless you close other doors, right? Right, right. And I think when I look back, and I can see this all more clearly in retrospect, I, my first novel, though not autobiographical, was set at a law firm, right? So I was gathering the material for the story that I would then go on to tell, 
without even knowing it. Yeah. So I do. I really believe that that our paths can zigzag but be very meaningful and make a lot of sense, particularly when looking back. And I always like to mention when we're having having this conversation in particular that I was in a position where I could kind of jump ship, right? You know, I had enough kind of financial stability to do that. And I, I'm always very careful to footnote that because I don't want everyone like, you know, leaving their like very quintessentially high wattage jobs to pursue something creative because that, you know, there are realities and practicalities. And I, so I always have, I have to footnote that. Yeah. And which is a luxury because not everybody has no, that luxury. No, no. Um, so that, I think that's nice and sort of savvy for you to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so when you left after a year and a half, mm-hmm. what was your approach? You know, a lot of people try to write books. I feel like that's that's a great joke. One of my friends recently gave me um, nightshades to wear at, um, when, when I'm sleeping, and they say, um, working on my novel. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> when I should get you. Yes, I need those. I need those. Um, so everybody's trying to write a book. How did you actually write a book? So it's interesting. I, I think because I was pretty young and clueless and had this kind of excess of self-confidence, I was able to just say, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I think even if I had waited two or three more years, the realities of kind of how hard it is would have soaked in. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. I, I kind of just went for it. I realized pretty swiftly that I didn't know what I was doing. So I took a lot of courses online, which I think it's helpful for people to know about because I think we all like lead busy lives, but there are really great resources online where I and kind let's of just pause for one second. What are some of those? Resources? Okay. So, so kind of many years ago when I was really first starting out, I, I took a lot of courses on Gotham writers workshop. Okay. And they still exist today and have some great classes. And then more recently, you know, just in the last couple months, I took a course on a platform called catapult which offers lots and lots of great classes, um, often taught by current novelists and authors. So it's a great resource too. So I did that and kind of pieced together how to do it. And what I will say, which I think is decent advice, is that when you are pursuing something that matters to you, whether it's creative or not, it can be helpful to have some blinders on, right? Like don't immerse yourself in the statistics of how hard it is to write a novel, to find an agent, to find a publisher, because you'll just you'll just get depressed, right? I didn't really look for that information, and when people tried to share it with me, I was like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I kind of holed up in my little like green office and just started writing. Okay. And it the stars aligned and it happened, but I think that a little bit of that chosen ignorance was important. Okay. I want to have you take us through what it looks like when you're writing because okay. every writer is a little bit different some mm-hmm. people write at a certain time of day or mm-hmm. a certain with in a certain location a certain outfit right so tell us what it looks like when you're writing right well first of all this is like probably the thing I'm most fascinated by which is how creatives create there's this really incredible book which I'll mention called daily rituals it's this beautiful little red book by an author named Mason Curry who studies all these like gene- creative geniuses and how they worked and so that's a fun book. I am kind of all over the place as a writer. I have a very lightweight laptop which is in my bag at all times and I sit down and I write whenever I can. So sometimes I have 20 minutes before I pick up my daughters at school. 
Sometimes I have a larger chunk and I can write at home or in a coffee shop or in a co-working space. But um, flexibility is really important for me because I can kind of chip away. And if I'm really in a serious mode of my writing in terms of like finishing a project or starting a project, unfortunately what works for me is to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and to get in two hours of really, really solid creative work before my kids wake up. It does not make for the most kind of active social life, but it really works for me creatively. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Because once you've gotten two hours of solid writing done and it's 6.30 in the morning, you really you feel really like you've feel, accomplished You really feel good and like everything else is just icing. Okay, that's amazing. I like that. So you started working on your first novel, Life After Yes, and ended up getting it published in 2010. Mm -hmm. What was that process like for you once you committed yourself to being disciplined, you wrote a quality piece? How did that work from there practically? Practically, so I, I took my time writing the book. Um, during this time, I had my first and second daughter, I believe, if I'm getting the timing right. So there were kind of pauses in there, okay. which made sense. And what happened was I finished it, I really finished it, and then for some reason, and I think a lot of writers might relate to this, I put it to the side and kind of ignored it. And, um, and then, you know, this is a meaningful kind of footnote to all of this, my dad got sick. And it was really out of the blue. He's the patriarch of our family and, you know, just everything to us. And he got very sick very quickly. And he was working on a book when he passed away, right? Like, he was scrambling to write this book that meant a lot to him, which, by the way, we just had posthumously published in the last few months, right? That's amazing. And he passed away 10 years ago. So something about him becoming ill and realizing that life is short and realizing we don't have forever to do these projects, to do anything, really lit a fire under me. And I took that manuscript out and I polished it. And I remember writing letters to agents from his hospital room. And I got an offer for representation from an agent two, year, two weeks after he died. So like literally, I think that experience, which was obviously very hard, um, kind of lit the fire under me that I needed to like actually follow through and kind of commence my career, which is pretty incredible to kind of look back upon. Yeah. And perhaps not typical. No. I mean, and I think that that also sort of speaks to what you were talking about before in your transition from being a lawyer to a writer that, mm -hmm. you know, all experiences, even some of the worst experiences of your life, like a parent passing away. Right can shape you and inspire you to do something else Absolutely. and kind of help you, Absolutely. you know, the rebirth mm -hmm. of who you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a whole new professional chapter. So, um, your first novel was Life After Yes, and your second novel was The Ramblers in 2016. Mm -hmm. Tell us about those two books and, um, how they're different and kind of what that progression means. Right. So my, I would say my first, my two books are really different. They have commonalities which makes sense because I authored both of them, but they're both really New York stories, and New York is very meaningful to me. I was born and raised here. Um, my husband and I have chosen to raise our daughters here. They go to the school I went to. I have a very full circle existence going on. So the fact that both of these fictional stories are set in New York is very meaningful to me. But I would say that's about all they have in common, other than having kind of strong female protagonists. I tend to like to write about... Um, smart women at existential crossroads. 
Um, my second book was really kind of a tactical challenge for me. It was written in the third person. My first book was first person. So kind of the technicalities were very different. Um, but, you know, I, th I read my second book and I feel like I've grown as an author, you know, and I think that's, that's all we can hope for as, you know, professionals and creatives and as people is the sense of kind of evolution and growth. And um, I'm working on my third book, which is very much in the early stages, so hard to talk about, but um, it's exciting to feel myself kind of my muscles developing as a writer. That's really great. Yeah. One thing that I think is so interesting about you as a writer that other people may not um, be as aware of is that you're also this huge community builder. So mm -hmm. not only do you have a very popular blog and a very popular social media presence, mm -hmm. but you've started the Happier Hour liter Literary Salons. Right. And basically, for those of you who are tuning in and who haven't attended one of these, it's a really amazing group of, I would say, somewhere in the range of, would you say 50 to 100 people? That's probably, yeah. That's Some, right. Something like that. About 50 to 100 people um, that you gather together to discuss one or two books that are relevant and topical and related mm -hmm. to a certain theme. And it's kind of like all the best things about college, right. but for adulthood, right. over some you know delicious right. appetizers right. and nice right. conversation and friendly people. Right. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind starting this literary salon and what it's meant for you in your role as kind of a writer's writer. Right, right. So, again, this is, this is a perfect example of kind of paths organically forming. But before my first book was published, I kind of picked my head up from the desk and realized, hey, I'm a lawyer, and I don't, I don't know any writers. You know, I love books. I've always loved books. I'm, I've written my own book. It's going to be out in the world. It's going to be on bookshelves everywhere. But I don't, I don't know a lot of writers, right? And so... I brainstormed very quickly came up with this dream situation because again I mentioned that I'm such an academic romantic like being in a college seminar is like my dream right so I'm like well what if I gathered book lovers you know but people who really really love books and want to talk about books I want to talk about ideas and what if we got together in person right and talked and and brought the author and and just have this really kind of enriching fun experience and so it was very much this thing. I didn't know if it would work or if there would be any traction or if there would be an appetite for it. So I hosted my first one in 2010. And I had all women, and I've continued to have all women. And the response was so staggering. People were, like, all about it and all over it. So I've hosted these salons um, reasonably consistently since then and have met so many incredible authors and got to know their work, but then also really got to know just an incredible community, local community of book lovers who, who really crave this type of conversation, which is, which is a little hardier than what we tend to have on a day-to-day -day basis in our busy lives. So it's been incredibly rewarding for me. It's been incredibly rewarding for me also just to support other authors and creatives and to get people to buy books because I think people realize that that is, need to realize that's how we can support each other. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's really cool also because as you were alluding to in our busy lives, even for those of us like me who are not involved in the literary mm -hmm. space, 
there's a little intellectual space in our brains that is not tickled by our day-to-day life. Right. That, you know, I love books, even right. though I don't have the luxury of um, reading or writing them every day. Right, right. Um, and well, you're doing a lot of other things. <laughs> well, we we is, each yeah. are doing the kind of our right. things, but it's just a really cool opportunity to yeah. expand your horizons a little mm-hmm. bit. So I've been so impressed by the wide variety of people that you've had at those. Well, thank you. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, so your most recent project and career development is actually one that I think is really interesting for a lot of modern women mm-hmm. and men. Right. Um, and that is this focus on living without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think of alcohol as a common factor in the background of every social situation mm-hmm. and the concept of being dry or abstaining is totally foreign, Mm -hmm. but yet there are a lot of people who are grappling with topics related to that. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about this journey for you and what your current projects are looking like? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a topic I'm personally and professionally very, very passionate about, and it comes from a personal place, which is that I have always been a drinker. I no longer am, and my story to of how I got to be a non-drinker is one I'm still kind of figuring out and hope to tell in writing at some point. But, you know, I would say becoming a mother of three kids, losing my dad, going through some of the harder things that I think a lot of us go through, we all go through our own hard stuff, um, made my drinking feel problematic to me. To the outside eye, no one ever pulled me aside, no one ever said you need to stop, but it was something that was troubling me. I was very self-aware about it. And I was grappling with it in a very private, silent way. And I was looking for examples of people who maybe just didn't drink. But what I was finding was this very kind of black and white spectrum where you either had no issue at all or you were in real pro- real trouble and needed some sort of intervention. And so my experience personally was that I was in the middle and that I was struggling with it in a more subtle way. And I wanted to figure it out and I wanted to talk to people about it and I wanted to feel less alone. And I couldn't find people in that middle who were talking. And so I decided to start talking. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been talking about it passionately, perhaps too much, um, primarily in this kind of little Instagram group I started called Drive, which is Dry Tribe. And on Instagram, it's actually Drive Club. And it is amazing to me how many people crave this conversation, how many of us fall within this like broad spectrum of kind of, I call it gray area drinking, where we're not black, we're not white, but we want want to talk about it and revisit it and have conversation about it. And I like to say that I made an early exit from the drinking life and it's entirely possible and I'm an example of that. And so I am pretty jazzed to go out there and talk about it because it means so much to me. And I think the idea of reaching people who are at perhaps an earlier stage of the struggle, who can just put it down and realize it's not good for them and their life will be better without it. When people say, why don't you drink? I think they expect some dark story. And what I say is my life is better without it. And that's the truth. Yeah. And I really like what you said about the gray area because so often alcohol is dichotomized into either you don't care about it and you don't drink whatsoever, mm-hmm. or you're somebody who's an extremely problematic um, uh, drinker where your life is basically falling apart right. and there's this whole segment of right. people in the middle that I think 
what you're talking about really resonates with. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, again, so passionate about the conversations around this topic that I actually launched my own podcast with my colleague, her name's Jolene Park, and she's in Denver, and she's a nutritional, she's a functional nutritionist and a health coach. And um, we have very different lives. I'm in the city. She grew up on a farm. I'm a mom. She's not. Like, I'm a writer. And so we had these really organic phone conversations about this because our stopping stories were very similar. Like, she kind of just put it down, too. And so we were like, this, we can't just have these conversations and not share them, you know? So but we have these conversations in, like, little 30-minute bursts online. And our, um, it's called Edit Podcast. And, our and it's on iTunes, right? It's on iTunes. It's everywhere where you guys listen to podcasts. And our tagline is editing our drinking and our lives. Which I think is really a nice tagline. We, it's all, we all can edit our own stories. Okay, that's amazing. Um, so in terms of the challenges associated with the Drive Club and um, just kind of living a dry life, what would you say the most difficult things have been for you in your routine social life, professional life, mm-hmm. writerly life. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what have been your biggest challenges about this new right cause? Right. Um, it's a really good question. It's an important question because I don't want to candy coat and say like life is rainbows and unicorns because I stopped drinking. I will say that every aspect of my life has improved since I put it down. Literally every aspect. My marriage, my motherhood, my writing career, my friendships, like the stuff you wouldn't expect. Like, it's just, it was like everything was waiting for me to just stop this one thing. So I, I, I have to emphasize the positive, but of course there are hard moments. Of course it's hard when I'm with a girl, group of girlfriends and it's a beautiful spring day and everyone's having a glass of rosé because that would have been me, right? So there are moments, I would say, of feeling quiet and interior and introspective, but what I've realized is that that's me. And for so many years, I was covering that up with alcohol. So those moments, I've actually been able to reframe positively. Like, I'm actually an introverted, thoughtful, kind of philosophical person. So it is okay for me to have those moments of discomfort and quiet. But I'm still getting used to that, right? And I'm also, I also, I'm a mom like you are. I have a lot going on. And it was my de-stressor. It was the way I took an edge off. And there are moments where I'm like, I don't have that... I need something else, and I'm still, still trying to figure out. I mean, reading books and writing has been very good for me. Exercise has been really good for me. Um, but certainly there are moments where I was like, it would be nice. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's it's just really honest, cool. you know? So speaking of your daughters, you're the right. mother to three daughters, and right. you are one of five sisters. Mm-hmm. So I think this is really fascinating because particularly as a writer and novelist, mm-hmm. there's so few um, prominent female kind of great writers. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how being in, being so much of a, a woman's woman mm-hmm. and also being a writer's writer, right. you know, what, what right. does that Venn diagram look like and what are your kind of thoughts about women in a writerly space? Right. Well, I think, I mean, I think there's a whole conversation to be had about kind of the attention, the type of attention female writers get and don't get. I mean, there's, there have been many, many articles about kind of how a man and a woman can write the exact same book, and the man's book is called literary, and the women's book is called women's fiction. There's a lot of controversy and really fertile territory for conversation around that. Um, I do think there are many, many amazing um, female writers 
past and present. Um, and I have a lot of, you know, a lot of female authors that I like to read and, and some mentors in my own life who I very much admire and turn to. Um, but it's a really important question, I think, with respect to books and everything else. I mean, to raise three daughters in this current climate is very interesting and, you know, complex to me. And I think about that all the time. I think about what conversations are we having about, about the world we live in, you know, and what is going on in the media and in politics. And I, you know, the conclusion I come to is just to keep talking, right? To keep talking about these issues kind of concretely and, and more generally just trying to empower my daughters, you know, um, around various topics that are important to me. I love that my, that my daughters see me picking them up at school and then see me bright and early in the morning working on a book. Like, I'm very, very self-aware about kind of the example I'm setting for them. Mm -hmm. um, but it's complex work. It's, it's tricky business. Yeah. And you're so good at shining a light on things. I feel like that with so many of the things you're talking about that we've discussed during this conversation have, you know, they've all hinged on the idea that you're shining a bright light on something, bringing awareness to it. Mm -hmm. And then in virtue of that, you know, there's yeah. this whole crop of young women listening to this podcast who can right. see you as an example of the right. type of novelist that they can be one day. Yeah. And you, you kind of can't imagine it unless you see it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think having an yeah. example kind of visually and, you know, in writing, I think it's really important to have examples of people who are doing things we might like to do. That's yeah. always been very important for me. What are three pieces of concrete advice that you would give to someone who's listening who wants to write their first novel? I'm not good with concrete. I'm very theoretical and philosophical. I will try my hardest. I would say just write. You know, okay. don't worry so much yet about what your specific story is, what your voice is. Just write. Kind of, you know, play around. I think there is a desire to turn writing into something very mechanical and controlled. And for me personally, it's not. It's very messy. And you have to let yourself stumble and you have to let yourself kind of find your way to your own voice, to your own story. And, um, you know, there's a really great Ernest Hemingway quote, which I will botch, but it, and, it, and it includes a bad word, but it's basically like it's okay. every first draft is shit, right? Like it is meant to be bad and you just need to write it and then you have something to work with, you know? So this sense of kind of surrender and just like diving in and just trusting that something really beautiful and polished and thoughtful can come from that like messy thing, you know, so that would be my first piece of advice. Talk to, talk to other people doing it and kind of get a sense for their own approach and their own instincts um, and just read voraciously. Read voraciously, particularly the types of books you might like to write. I think that's the best my, you know, my current agent, who is dear to me and a very good friend also, um, over lunch one summer, was like, these are your 10 books for the summer. You need to read them all because these are the types of books you should be writing. And it was very, very concrete. And it helped so much for me to, like, read these really beautiful works that I could then kind of mesh with my own thinking in a way. I think it's very important. If you're going to write, that. you've got to yeah. read. You've got to read. I love that. And human knowledge is so derivative, whether it's surgery or right. or writing or science or anything. You know, we, we're kind of as humans wired to build on each other and we mm -hmm. progress as a society. So, of course, you learn stuff from right. reading great other works, right. which is amazing. Right. 
Well, this has been so fun and amazing. I could keep you here for the rest of the night, um, but it's time for us to wrap up. Um, I wanted to gift you a product from Scientific oh, Beauty as a little fun. thank you for being here. Um, so if there's anything you have your eye on, let me know. Um, and um, I would love to do that. Okay. Okay. Well, I love your the, the lip. The lip plumper? plumper? I yeah. love it. Okay. I love it. I love it. So love it. that's yours. So okay. you have nice okay. plump lips okay. while you're writing your next book. Yes. Um, and I wanted to close, since this is Beauty Bosses, mm -hmm. by asking you about what beauty means to you and what being a boss means to you. And okay. I kind of mean that in a general sense because, you know, writing is... Uh, a high literary form of art and beauty and mm -hmm. I think there's so much to be gained from the written word so mm -hmm. maybe you could speak a little bit about that and then you are sort of your own boss which is kind of amazing mm -hmm. too um, so tell us a little bit about that okay big questions good questions the beauty piece and this is so it's such a good question because I think we as women and we as kind of high achieving perfectionist types I think there's a lot of pressure in our society to look a certain way and to perhaps emulate certain standards of beauty. And what I've felt personally, what I've seen, and this is something I've almost come to more recently, is that beauty is really, it's two things for me. It's joy and honesty, right? Like when someone is joyful, you can tell and it radiates, you know, and it radiates physically. And when someone is being honest and, you know, in the way that they're living their life or in the story they're telling or the story they're living, Again, it's just, it just is so apparent. So I think, you know, clothing and all that stuff is fun. And I'm not going to lie, I love it all, you know? It's but, but it's not, that's not it. You yeah. know, that's not capital B Beauty. Um, and then being boss, like, I love being my own boss, but it's also very hard at times to have the, um, the self-discipline and to kind of prioritize my professional world when I want to spend all my time with my daughters. Yeah, right? you have to be a bad boss and a good boss. Um, but I feel immensely lucky and privileged to be able to wake up every day and to say, like, this is the way I'm going to do this day. And I'm going to write and I'm going to be with my kids and I'm going to hang with my husband and I'm going to see my friends. And I, I don't believe in balance. Like, I don't feel like I have balance, but my life is kind of jammed with all these things that are very meaningful to me, personally and professionally. And that's all I've asked for. Well, I love it. Thank, Thank you. you so much for well, sharing. Thank you for having me. So much fun.